coffee in the big game. Dust off your Walkmans and grab your Rubik's Cube. Don't cross the streams. I got a great idea, you guys. Click shoes. This is Radio Wayne's Wine to Grow On, your 30-minute time machine to the coolest moments in 80s and 90s pop culture, wrapped up in a tasty spiritual hot pocket. Stick around for some great retro fun, and if you're not careful, you might learn something before it's done. And now, here's your host, Wayne Cordova. Welcome, true believers, to another episode of Radio Wayne's One to Grow On. I'm your host, Wayne Cordova, your guide on this expedition through the pop culture jungle of the 80s and 90s. Every episode, we swing from the vines of the past to the trends, franchises, and phenomena that made these decades totally tubular. Today, we're rolling out to one of the most game-changing toy lines and TV franchises of the 80s, Transformers. Brought to us by Hasbro and Takara, Transformers weren't just toys, they were robots in disguise, more than meets the eye. These action figures could change from vehicles, animals, and other devices into robot heroes and villains. On the small screen, the Transformers animated series captivated us with the ongoing battle between the Autobots, led by Optimus Prime, and the Decepticons under the command of Megatron. This brand truly transformed the landscape of action figures and children's television. So, whether you are an Autobot or a Decepticon fan, owned every toy, or just love the epic adventures of these metallic heroes, this episode will hit all of the right nostalgia buttons. Grab your Energon cubes, folks, and let's transform and roll out with the Transformers. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots please their the Transformers, these remarkable creations were not just toys, they were a cultural sensation that transcended generations. Once upon a time in 1984, a toy line and cartoon series were born, courtesy of Hasbro. The Transformers burst onto the scene, and little did anyone know that they would become one of the best-selling toys of all time. But before we delve into the world of Autobots and Decepticons, let's rewind the clock a bit to where it all began. The roots of Transformers trace back to the early 1980s in the land of the rising sun, Japan. Two Japanese toy lines, Microchange and Diaclone, were the precursors to our beloved shape-shifting robots. These toy lines featured robots that could seamlessly transform into everyday vehicles, electronic gadgets, or even fearsome weapons. Hasbro, recognizing the potential of these transforming marvels, decided to join forces with the Japanese toy company Takara. Now, Here's where the plot thickens. The concept of the Transformers wasn't entirely original. It had its origins in the Diaclone toy line, which Takara launched in 1980. These toys boasted transforming vehicles and robots piloted by miniature figures borrowed from the Microman toy line. In 1982, Takara introduced a line of car robots that would also transform. Hasbro, either too busy to brainstorm something entirely new or just too savvy to ignore a golden opportunity, licensed both the Car Robot toy line and the Microman line from Takara. They decided to meld these concepts together 
to create what we now know as the Transformers. Many of the Autobot versions of the Transformers actually came straight from the car robot line. In fact, a significant portion of the future Transformers, including the iconic Dinobots, Insecticons, Decepticon planes, and the mighty Constructicons, already existed in the Takara toy line. It was a match made in toy heaven. Hasbro, though, wasn't content with just releasing a new toy line. They knew that to truly capture the hearts of kids, these toys needed identities and backstories. After all, a transforming robot is cool, but it becomes even more fascinating when you discover that they're part of a robotic race from a distant planet called Cybertron, divided into good and evil factions. To give life to this narrative, Hasbro turned to the comic book maestros at Marvel Comics. Editor-in-Chief Jim Shooter and Dennis O'Neill worked their storytelling magic, while Bob Budiansky, a Marvel veteran, played a pivotal role by creating the names and characteristics of these fascinating robotic beings. Budiansky's creativity extended to crafting intriguing tech-spec biographies that were proudly displayed on the toy packaging. Now, let's dive into the epic legend of the Transformers. Picture this a metallic planet named Cybertron, home to the heroic Autobots led by the iconic Optimus Prime and the malevolent Decepticons led by the notorious Megatron. These two factions were engaged in an unending war for supremacy, fueled by the need to find alternative sources of energy. Their quest eventually led them to crash land on Earth, where they lay dormant for a staggering four million years. When they finally awoke in the year 1984, Chaos ensued as the Decepticons wreaked havoc on Earth while the Autobots fought valiantly to protect their newfound home. The full depth of this captivating tale would only be unveiled with the launch of the 1986 cartoon series. This series was a pioneering example of a show created explicitly to launch a toy line, and boy did it work. Now, let's fast forward to the mid-80s where the Transformers toy line was booming. While countless Transformers would grace toy shelves over the years, we'll primarily focus on the mid-80s gems that tied into the cartoon and the original movie. The inaugural release of Transformers featured an impressive array of 28 toys, 18 Autobots and 10 Decepticons. Among these 11 Autobots could transform into cars, 6 into mini cars, and 1 into the iconic semi-tractor trailer, none other than Optimus Prime. As for the Decepticons, three took the form of menacing planes, one disguised as a cassette recorder, a relic of the past, five were mini cassettes, and one even transformed into a handgun, a feat that would likely raise eyebrows today. Many of these Transformers were, in essence, clones of each other. Hasbro simply tweaked the paint jobs and accessories while keeping the transformation mechanisms the same. So, in reality, it felt more like they released around 10 to 12 unique toys. For instance, Ironhide and Ratchet were essentially identical, as were Prowl and Blue Streak and Smokescreen. And let's not forget Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp, a trio of troublemakers with the same design. The story didn't end there. The second series saw a reissue of all the toys from the first set, and they introduced a whopping 26 new toys. This marked the beginning of a more intricate branding strategy with the introduction of subgroups. Among the Autobots, you had the mighty Dinobots and the versatile Omnibots. On the Decepticon side, there were menacing Insecticons and the formidable Constructicons. 
But the fun didn't stop with new characters. Hasbro also added nifty features to the reissued toys, such as heat-sensitive rub signs. These small decals added an element of surprise when you rubbed them. Heat would either reveal an Autobot or a Decepticon symbol. It was not just a cool play feature, it served as a countermeasure against the flood of inferior bootleg versions that were flooding the market. These two series, released in 1984 and 1985, were considered one giant release and formed the first generation of Transformers for the cartoon series. Everything that happened during this time period laid the foundation for the vast and captivating Transformers universe that continues to thrive to this day. Decepticons! Now you can watch the incredible adventures of the Transformers as heroic Autobots battle evil Decepticons five days a week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The Transformers are like nothing you've seen before. Don't miss a single day. The Transformers. The Transformers. Weekdays at 4 on Channel 9. The seeds of Transformers were sown. Bob Budiansky... Jim Shooter, Dennis O'Neill conceived a brilliant idea, a four-issue comic book series and a three-part cartoon series that would not only unveil the backstory, but also introduce a whole array of characters. These characters, as little kids like me would soon discover, were destined to grace the shelves of the toy stores across the nation. The stage was set, and in September 1984, the three-part pilot miniseries made its grand debut. It was a collaborative effort between Marvel Productions and Sunbow Productions, animated initially by Toei Animation in Japan and later by Acom in South Korea. The toy line, initially designed with a more militaristic and robotic aesthetic, underwent a transformation on its own thanks to the creative genius of Japanese designer Shohei Kohara. His vision added a humanistic touch to the robots, while Floro Deary, the lead designer of the series, further simplified their appearance. Now, let's dive into the storyline of this groundbreaking three-part series. It's a tale as old as time. The Autobots and Decepticons, inhabitants of the metallic planet Cybertron, venture out in search of new resources. A fierce battle aboard their spaceship culminates in a crash landing on Earth. However, they remain dormant for four million years, only to be awakened by a volcanic eruption. As the Decepticons prepare to plunder Earth, the Autobots join forces with humans, Sparkplug and Spikewit Wiki, to protect our world. The conclusion of this initial series sees the Decepticons seemingly vanquished after their spacecraft crashes into the ocean, while the Autobots make preparations to return to Cybertron. The first official season of Transformers introduced us to a whopping 13 episodes, which had already been commissioned and produced before the miniseries even hit the airwaves. Hasbro was playing the long game, knowing they were about to unleash a torrent of Transformers upon unsuspecting kids like me. The season's premise revolved around the Decepticons' miraculous survival after their ocean crash. They embarked on a mission to construct a space bridge to teleport precious resources back to Cybertron. A key storyline within the season centered on the technology behind this space bridge, culminating in the Quote, ultimate doom, a three-part conclusion where the Decepticons succeeded in teleporting Cybertron into Earth's orbit. Airing between October and December, this season was more than just entertainment. It was a strategic move to introduce new characters slated for the 1985 toy line. Among these newcomers were the legendary Dinobots, Skyfire, 
the crafty Insecticons, and the mighty Constructicons, who had the power to combine into the colossal Devastator. It was pure awesomeness. As the story arc continued to evolve, so did the excitement among kids like me. Season 2 was a game changer, boasting a staggering 49 new episodes. The number may seem random, but it was all part of the master plan. The addition of these 49 episodes to the existing 16 brought the series to a magic number, 65 episodes, the perfect count to transition Transformers into weekday broadcast syndication. This was a pivotal moment because it meant that Transformers could become part of a kid's daily routine. And trust me, it certainly became part of mine. After school, the first order of business was tuning in to watch Transformers. The format of the show shifted in the second season. Instead of a continuous storyline, each episode became a standalone adventure. This allowed broadcasters to air them in any order without confusing the overall narrative. From a promotional standpoint, each episode became a commercial in its own right, highlighting individual characters or groups of characters linked to an upcoming toy release. If you were a keen observer, you might have noticed that characters addressed each other by their full names and vehicles were referred to by their full names as well. This was no coincidence. It was a deliberate strategy to help kids identify the toys they wanted in the middle of a bustling store. It wasn't all about commerce, though. The series creators also expanded the Transformers lore, introducing the first female Transformer and a character named Carly, who happened to be Spike's girlfriend. In addition, the 1985 toy line made its grand entrance into a two-part episode called Dinobot Island, featuring new Autobot cars and mini vehicles inspired by Takara Toys, Diaclone, and Microchange lines. Season 2 also introduced the Decepticon Triple Changers, namely Astro Train and Blitzwing. And let's not forget Omega Supreme, one of the most epic and expensive toys of that era. And now let's fast forward into 1986, a year that would leave an indelible mark on kids like me. Transformers the movie hit theaters on August 8th, 1986, transporting us to the year 2005, two decades after the events of season two. This cinematic masterpiece stirred up a whirlwind of emotions among kids, especially me. The movie served multiple purposes. It bid farewell to certain characters, effectively clearing the way for the discontinuation of the 1984 and 1985 toy products. It also introduced a new cast of characters aligned with the 1986 toy release. However, it's worth noting that the movie left many of us traumatized. Beyond the death and violence, the film even featured some cursing, a shocking departure from the animated series. All of this culminated in the heartbreaking death of Optimus Prime a moment that still haunts the memories of many. Unbeknownst to the movie makers, they were shaping the childhoods of an entire generation, all in the name of introducing new toys for Christmas. The movie's plot revolves around the Decepticons' conquest of Cybertron, while the Autobots take refuge on nearby moons. Optimus Prime sends a shuttle to Earth for supplies, only for it to be hijacked by Megatron, leading to the demise of Ironhide, Ratchet, Prowl, and Brawn. The Decepticons then launch an attack on Autobot City, resulting in even more casualties. The climax sees Optimus Prime confronting Megatron in a legendary showdown leading to the iconic death of Optimus Prime. As if that wasn't enough, Starscream takes advantage of Megatron's weakened state and disposes of him in space. Enter Unicron, a planet-sized entity voiced by the legendary Orson Welles in his final role. 
Unicron's insatiable appetite for other planets prompts him to make a deal with Megatron, offering him a new body in exchange for the destruction of the Matrix, a powerful artifact that can annihilate Unicron. Megatron is converted into Galvatron, and, well, he doesn't waste any time. He promptly eliminates Starscream. The epic conclusion unfolds as the Autobots mount an assault on Unicron, Hot Rod takes on Galvatron, and the Matrix transforms slash rebrands him as Rodimus Prime, just as Optimus had foretold. The power of the Matrix ultimately leads to the destruction of Unicron. Despite its commercial intentions, the movie remains a creative gem with stunning animation and a soundtrack that screams 80s rock. To add a touch of Hollywood glamour, the film featured a star-studded cast, including Casey Kasem, Robert Stack, Judd Nelson, Peter Cullen, John Mashita Jr., the voice of the Micro Machines commercials, Leonard Nimoy, Frank Welker, and, in their very last roles, Orson Welles and Scatman Carruthers. Following the movie's cataclysmic events, Season 3 picked up where it left off. The Autobots now controlled Cybertron, with Galvatron leading the Decepticons, and even Starscream made a surprising return. However, the death of Optimus Prime still loomed large in the hearts of kids like me, leading to a massive letter-writing campaign that compelled Hasbro to resurrect him in a two-part episode fittingly titled The Return of Optimus Prime. It was a resurrection that gave us all a sigh of relief, but perhaps they should have just rebranded him as Optimus Prime Classic. The series rolled on into Season 4 in November of 1987, effectively bringing the original Transformers series to a close. However, the Transformers were far from done with TV screens. A fifth season emerged, consisting mainly of reruns of 15 episodes from the original series, accompanied by the movie cleverly edited into four episodes. While the animated series took its final bow, the toys continued to thrive. Following the movie, new toy lines emerged, including the Headmasters, Target Masters, Pretenders, and Power Masters. In 1987, the Micromasters joined the Transformers ranks, offering tiny versions of beloved characters to compete with the wildly popular Micro Machines. However, by the 1990s, the Transformers began to struggle in the U.S. market, even as they thrived in Canada, the U.K., and Japan. 1993 marked the arrival of Generation 2, with the old Takara Toy Company taking the reins. The new line primarily rehashed the molds from 1984 and 1985, sporting fresh color schemes and finishes, notably Megatron's transformation from a handgun to a tank was a nod to safety and security concerns in an ever-changing world. It's clear that these shape-shifting robots have left an indelible mark on pop culture and the hearts of kids like me. With their dynamic storytelling, memorable characters, and innovative toy designs, Transformers continue to be more than meets the eye. Whether you're reminiscing about the 80s or discovering these incredible robots for the first time, Transformers will always have a special place in our cybernetic hearts. in the making. An incredible adventure and spectacular widescreen animation opens at theaters everywhere Friday, August 8th. Transformers! Transformers, the movie. It's a startlingly original story that begins in the year 2005. A monster planet destroys everything in its path, while on Earth, Optimus Prime and Megatron battle to the death. It's over, Prime. It's a story that will surprise and shock even the most die-hard Transformer fans. Starring Leonard Nimoy and Judd Nelson, with songs by Weird Al Yankovic and Stan Bush. Escape into fantasy this summer, into the incredible rock and roll adventure. 
Transformers the movie. Don't miss it. It's rated PG and opens at theaters everywhere August 8th. I was seven years old, and for my birthday, I got two things that forever changed my life. First was my first pair of glasses. And for the rest of my life, I was the glasses kid. It affected every part of my life. I couldn't see without them. I couldn't wear a mask for Halloween. Couldn't paint my face without looking like a goof. And I couldn't escape the teasing of being called four eyes. That was just it. From seven-year-old on, I had glasses. I've been wearing glasses now since then. And uh, it's just something I could never get rid of, never escape. Can't do the contacts thing. Can't do anything else. Glasses have always been a part of my face. That was the first thing that forever changed my life at age seven. The second was this. I got my first Transformer on my seventh birthday, Ironhide. This hard-nosed, too-tough red van with a blaster cannon looked hardly anything from the cartoon version, but I was hooked on Transformers from day one thanks to him. I clearly remember opening him up from the package, pulling out the instruction booklet, pulling out the other poster that had all the, all the Transformers that were in that first wave and being able to take a look at everybody. And it's kind of funny when you, when you first get your first Transformer and you have just the one, you just wear out the transforming mechanism over and over and over again because you just turn him back to a van, back to a robot, back to a van, back to a robot. And I still have Ironhide to this day. And him as a, as a tra- I just remember that being the most vivid memory of that seventh birthday was opening him up because the entire world of Transformers opened up for me in that very instant. I was completely enthralled by the battle between good and evil, robot versus robot, Cybertron versus Earth. The toys and everything about them were huge to me. This was one of the, the two toys that had me keeping the boxes just so I could learn everything about the characters. The the other was G.I. Joe, but that's a story for another episode. But I would literally keep all of the boxes of every figure that I got just so that I can do the the red uh, cellophane over and kind of check their stats. I kept track of their stats. I kept track of what their strengths and their weaknesses were. This was the first toy line that had me completely hooked into every detail of the figure. This was this was like being into role-playing games before I was into role-playing games because I was keeping track of stats, writing them down in books, trying to figure out who could beat who in what fight and, and, and who had the better strengths and who had the better strategies. This was the first time as a seven-year-old kid that I could remember being completely into something, and it was amazing. The Transformers was also the, the, the first I remember trading So I remember this is the first toy that I ever had that I just remember trading with other people, swapping characters like they were trading cards. It was the first toy I remember kids bringing to the lunch table at school. It was the first time I ever remember getting in trouble for bringing an action figure or having one taken away. It was Transformers. And and I just remember that having a particular character was a a status symbol of how cool you were at the lunch table. And that's where I went from being four eyes to the Autobot leader when I showed off the coveted Wheeljack figure. For some reason, Wheeljack was a big deal in my recess crew, and everybody was just so excited just to see Wheeljack, and I felt like I had found like the rarest of rare figures because nobody else had him. And then when I was the first kid to find and merge all of the Constructicons and form Devastator, I was the new holder of the Matrix of Leadership at lunch. It was just 
it was it was the lunch leadership matrix basically because it was a it was a race to try and to form the next you know the next big you know combiner and and it just it kept growing from there and i just remember in school just transformers in and of itself was just the coolest thing and learning how to draw the fir- one of the first things i used to draw on the margins of my work at school was optimus prime's face it was because it was all geometric shapes and i could just i can do it today from memory i can do his eyes i can do his mouthpiece i can do the symbol on top of his head his antenna and it was just this thing that i just remember filling the margins of my schoolwork with images of transformers one after the other after the other i remember not being allowed to have megatron because he formed a handgun and they weren't allowed in my house and so it was just one of those things where i it was it, no amount of arguing could get that in my house and so it was no megatron was off limits and i just remember okay you just you can't have that in my house and so i, I starscream is going to have to be the leader by default and so i would do that transformers is also a vivid part of my life when it came to the memory of going to see the Transformers movie for the very first time. This was the first movie that I remember being so eager as a kid to see on opening weekend, on opening day, all on my own. And it was the first time that I went to a movie with my mom, who was like my movie going buddy. We would always go see the latest films together when I was growing up. And this is the first time I asked her to sit in another row so that I could watch it with my friends. And so I was kind of like, I remembered you saying, if you don't mind, I want to see this with my friends. And we all sat in like in the same row. And little did I know that this movie would be the movie that would also be the first to bring me to tears as a child. Why? Well, first off, they unceremoniously kill off Ironhide just in one of the opening scenes. There he is, my first Transformer, who I have an emotional attachment to, is just is killed on screen. And then it happened. A moment that affected every kid my age. The moment that Megatron succeeded and killed Optimus Prime. I still blame Hot Rod. I still think it's Hot Rod's fault because if he didn't distract Optimus Prime, none of this would have happened. And then the whole movie sets the thing in motion. But here's Optimus Prime in a death scene in animation on this big screen. Here's this little kid with tears running down his face. Nothing could prepare me for the first time that a beloved character would die on screen. I still can't hear the soundtrack of that scene without feeling the emotion of the loss. And speaking of the soundtrack, the soundtrack to Transformers the movie might actually be my favorite soundtrack of all time, if not a top 10 album of all time. The tracks were amazing, not just for the song The Touch, which was like the song. I still remember there being a contest to win the 45 album of that song. But then you have Dare, you have Instruments of Destruction, which was the most metal song I knew at the time. Then you got Weird Al, Weird Al Yankovic with, with his song Dare to be Stupid on a, on a motion picture soundtrack. How cool is that? And then the motion picture score itself. I remember just being a child in, in you know, turning double digits, listening to this score of a, mu- of, a, of, a, of a movie, knowing that this just had an emotional attachment. I mean, honestly, more than any other movie at the time, it, it seriously affected my and, and shape this you know this view of uh, I want to get the soundtrack I want to have the movie when the movie is out on video I want to own the movie I want to record it every time the movie is out it really kind of felt like a movie of a generation for for kids in the eighties that you know if it hits you at the very right time so many firsts were revolved around this I mean here I sat down in this thing and all of a sudden now 
all of my favorite Transformers in the opening moments of the movie are killed off or sent away. And now I'm stuck the rest of this movie trying to get to know new characters like Cup and Ultra Magnus and Hot Rod and Rodimus Prime and, you know, RC and the Junkions and all this kind of stuff. I just remember the just the, the emotion of like a lot is going on here and you're expecting kids to really, you know, shift and change on a dime here. I stuck around with Transformers for a bit longer. And even after they tried to bring back Optimus Prime, the new episodes just started becoming few and far between. And it wasn't that long that I, I trailed off afterwards. But I still come back to Transformers now and then and think of the lessons that Optimus Prime and the rest of the crew taught us. Good always wins over evil. And we should never give up until all are one. Next up is the Q&A. Ironhide, we gotta stop that water. Stop talking, pack your shop of Norbers and get in. We're gonna make a new river. Let's go! All right, folks, it is time for the Q&A. And I wanted to uh, dive in. We got some, uh, some pretty neat questions this time around. So, Emily from Texas, which Transformer had the coolest alternate mode in your opinion? Which Transformer had the coolest alternate mode in your opinion? You know, that's a, that's a really great question. So like when I had the toys, the my brother and I were into Transformers at the same time. But of course, my brother was a teenager by then. And so he was more in the line of like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm buying these figures and I'm keeping them nice and they're going to kind of be on the shelf or, you know, I'll pull them out every so often. And I was straight up like, you know, playing with the toys. And I, I remember that he had Grimlock. So he started with um, like Grimlock and, and the, the dino bots and all that kind of stuff. And so he had Grimlock. And for me, he was like one of, the, because I didn't get to really play with him often. He, my brother shared, but I didn't get to play with him often. He wasn't part of my regular rotation of figures. I remember just kind of being really into looking at him in his dinosaur mode, right? And just being really into it. And so for me, he's probably one of my all-time favorite uh, Transformers of all time. And the, the Dinobots altogether are probably one of my all-time favorites. Um, Chris from Colorado, which Transformers toy was absolutely essential for every 80s kit? Oh, this is great. Okay. You, uh, you had to have Optimus Prime. Like You had to have the leader of all, opti- of all Autobots if you didn't have him. But I think for me, one of the most essential ones are the little guys. You had like Bumblebee and Cliff Jumper. Those guys were essential because those were the guys you could keep in your pocket. Okay. Those are the guys that you could sneak into school with. Those are the guys that you could take with you and sneak into church with, right? And so, like, while the sermon's going on, you can run him on the, the little loops of the pews. And uh, that's, I got in trouble a lot um, bringing toys to church, but y- you could, you could do that, right? And just kind of have him. He's just kind of slick in your pocket. You pull him out and you put him back in. So, all the guys that were little were essential Transformer toys. You, you just, you needed to have them. In your in your pocket, and then the other essential thing were the bootleg transformers. Like I used to have the transformer watch that you could just kind of pop off, and you turn into a robot, you put them back on, and eventually you lost them. Um, and so I would love to have one of those again, or I want one like on my Apple Watch. So I just want like the face on my Apple Watch. That would be really cool. But those were definitely essential. That's a great question, Tim from California. It's crossover alert. We need a sound. I need something. It's crossover alert. 
if the Transformers could cross over with another 80s franchise, which would you choose and why? Now, Transformers themselves have had a lot of crossovers. They've had a lot of crossovers, especially like in the comics. Uh, they've crossed over with G.I. Joe. They've crossed over uh, with, uh, you know, really a, a, a ton of different um, toy lines and, and stuff. But so I'm going to go with one. I'm going to kind of pull a, a deep cut. Okay. I would go completely in space with this. And I would love to see the Transformers, ready for this, crossover with the Silverhawks. Okay, Transformers and the Silverhawks. Imagine the Silverhawks. They had that really cool um, spaceship that they would all kind of fly in together. And then you had Bluegrass, the guy with the guitar, and he would kind of jam out on his guitar, and that's how he would pilot everything. I would love to see a transforming version of that. And these guys are already partly metal, partly real. The Silverhawks, we're going to do a whole episode on them coming up soon. Don't sweat it. But you had these guys. And then you have the Transformers that are all metal and they transform and imagine the clash that would happen. And then not just on the hero side, what would happen if Megatron and Monstar had to team up? If you are a friend and an artist, uh, I would love to see some Transformers Silverhawks crossover art. That would be amazing. So cool. Sarah from Oregon. What is your earliest memory related to Transformers, be it toy or the cartoon. I okay, so I talked about Ironhide being my first Transformer. On the cartoon side, I remember it being one of the early afternoon lineup shows that I had to rush home to watch because it was one of those things where on a on a regular afternoon you had um, you know you had He Man, GI Joe, Transformers. And, you know, this was like like a couple of years before She-Ra. So it was like, you know, you at the time you probably had like Thundercats happening at the same time. And you had this block, this solid block of four. And then you also had like Voltron thrown in there. And you it all depended on how fast you got home. And sometimes, and so this was part of the thing, sometimes there would be a little bit of strategy involved where if you had a friend that lived closer to school and you all ran to their house first, then you can make it in time to watch the first cartoon and maybe if you're lucky and it was like a repeat or something you knew kind of knew how it ended after a while then you kind of cut out run the rest of the way home so you can catch the next cartoon but that was the that was it for for me was kind of just the the play between you know i got the figure now we got to rush to watch the cartoon and making it appointment viewing every single day liam from texas did you ever have an epic transformers battle with your toys as a child any memorable scenarios? I, dude, I love that. Um, I used to, so I was, I used to string up the jets, and so I would kind of get um, some, you know, wire or like fishing string and that kind of thing, and I would string up the jets so that they can kind of be, you know, flying up through the air, and I would kind of set up the battle. One of the things I like to do was set up the battle. If I had a smartphone back in 1986, right, I would probably be taking pictures of these and doing a lot of figure photography because I would set up the battle, look at it, admire it, and then destroy the whole thing, you know, and just kind of crash everybody together. But one of the things I remember having were these Microman figures. Microman, I think I traded a kid. I either traded them some mask toys or a Voltron toy. I couldn't remember which one it was. But I remember getting a bag, like a Ziploc bag full of Microman figures. And Microman figures were figures that were small enough that could fit inside Transformers because with the original Japanese toy lines, they they came with these guys. And so somehow he got some and then 
I traded him a figure for a bag of those little mini figures to get them in there, and they would be like Spike and all the other like human characters and stuff. So I'd play with them for that. Tara from Tennessee. Which elements of the Transformer story do you think are timeless and still resonate with audiences today? It's the battle between good and evil, Tara. The battle between good and evil. The 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 distinct line of you were an Autobot, you were a Decepticon, and you know this was these were the factions and these were the people, and then like the Autobots had subgroups and the Decepticons had subgroups. But even in in spite of all of that, you you know you had this battle going on and that fact that even when it was darkest even when it was you know um at its worst you knew that good was going to triumph over evil and so uh, those are just the elements that i just i love that i go back to when it comes to these franchises and you know some of the stuff that i feel like yeah it's kind of missing today but um you know that's what you can't you just can't beat it go back to that stuff and just see it and it's clear as day the battle between good and evil that's what I love about it. Guys, thank you so much for the Q&A. Up next is One to Grow On. Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. You got the touch. You got the One shall stand, one shall fall. Why throw away your life so recklessly? That's a question you should ask yourself, Megatron. No! I'll crush you with my bare hands! I've got to help Prime! Stay away, lad! That's Prime's fight! Beyond the captivating battles and the memorable characters, there's a message that resonates even today. There's more than meets the eye. That iconic line isn't just about robots that can transform into vehicles. It's about potential, transformation, and the hidden strengths that each of us carries. Each Transformer had a unique strength and special role. And while their exterior might have been a car, a truck, or even a cassette tape, they had the power to become so much more. Just as they did, so can you. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once stated, If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. In life's challenges, it's our duty to keep pushing and striving, embodying the very sentiment. He also reminded us that change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle. And so we must strengthen our backs and work for our freedom. A man can't ride you unless your back is bent. Transformation is not passive. It requires action, strength, and perseverance. Like Bumblebee, whose small stature housed a heart as vast as Cybertron, we too can reveal strengths and capacities that might not be immediately evident. It's not just about self-perception, but how we influence, connect, and interact with others. Despite the ongoing skirmishes between Decepticons and Autobots, both factions acknowledge the significance of unity 
and the power emanating from it. Regardless of whether you resonate with Optimus Prime or Megatron, understand that genuine transformation begins internally. And akin to our beloved robots, upon channeling our inner might, we can indeed become so much more than meets the eye. Rev up your engines, charge up, and transform not just yourself, but also the world around you. And that's one to grow on. Me, Grimlock fool? Pitcher, you got no fool, you not. <laughs> Me, Grimlock, no like you. <laughs> my boy hit my nose. Really say fine friends today. Me, Grimlock, say we on our way. Well, true believers, it's time to roll out of another totally tubular episode of Radio Wayne's One to Grow On. We've been through a transformational journey back to the 80s with those incredible robots in disguise, the Transformers. But hold on to your Energon cubes because this adventure isn't over yet. If you've been rocking out with us on this nostalgic trip, let's crank up the volume, subscribe to the podcast on all platforms, and give us a review that's hotter than Cybertron on a summer day. Your reviews are like the matrix of leadership guiding others to us. And hey, if you want to join the Autobot Alliance against the Decepticons of boredom, for just $5 a month, you can unlock the all-spark of bonus content on our Patreon. Exclusive posts, polls on future topics, and a bonus audio segment called The More You Know are waiting for you there. Ready to join the Autobots in action? Reach us through voicemail at 727-37-WAYNE or 727-379-2963. Got a longer story? Send them our way via email at radiowayne at gmail.com. And for a daily dose of nostalgia, follow us on Instagram at one to grow on podcast. A colossal shout out to the artist extraordinaire, Greg Gosselin, for crafting our podcast logo and artwork. Show him some love by following at Greg Gosselin and get ready for some incredible artistic action. Let's not forget our editing wizard, Stephen Orr. You can catch his superheroic talents on the Just Another Fanboy and the Superman Superfeed podcasts. And remember, One to Grow On is a Radio Wayne production. So until we meet again, keep your laser blasters charged, your Walkman tapes rewound, and the immortal words of Optimus Prime, Autobots transform and roll out. Woo!